Well, welcome to church uh, on this Good Friday. My name is Mark. I'm the uh, rector, the senior minister, um, and for this morning I'll also be a teacher, um, which is good if you want to be learners. Of course, if it's not, feel free to have a nap and, uh, and just think about what the rest of the weekend will hold, and that's also fine, but I'll do my best to make a few uh, comments around Good Friday that I hope you'll find helpful and inspiring and... Uh, open up new vistas of connection with God for you and for me. So let me just pray uh, and talk to this God who we're going to talk about. Lord God, uh, help us to um, learn who you are and who we are and what that means for our lives. Uh, Amen. So uh, who are the two most important beings in your life? I'll tell you the answer. I'll guess. You may disagree with me, but let me guess. The first most important being in your life is is you, right? Like, and we can dress it up and go, well, it's my partner, it's my kid's No matter how much you love the people around you, you spend, I guarantee you, you will spend more time thinking about yourself and organizing yourself than you will thinking about and organizing and worrying about anybody else. I'll give you a simple illustration. Uh, Whose pain do you really feel? Well, yours. I mean, empathize with those you love and their pain, but really, when you stub your toe, you cry more than when your partner stubs their toe, don't you? That's just the way it is. So the way it is, is is you are massively important. Now that's at one level fairly uncontroversial. Uh, The second personal being, who's the, the next most important personal being in the world to understand? And I want to suggest whether, and this, this is more controversial at an ontological level, is God, if he, she, or it exists, right? So if there is a God, if there actually is a creator being, then understanding the nature of this being is of enormous importance, right? Enormous importance. And... And we shouldn't just take it for granted that, oh, well, of course, we all understand God. Well, no, 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 we don't. There's many different views of God. Even people in our culture, if you were to walk down Darling Street this morning and ask people who are not in church, who might say something like, well, I'm spiritual but not religious. I believe in my God. You believe in your God. Or they might even say, I don't believe in any God at all. I'm pretty sure if I got chatting with them, I'd discover that they have embedded in their minds a working hypothesis of what ultimate reality really is. That is what God really is. Um, so the question is, what do we know about ourselves and what do we know about God? It's very, very important. It's important to know your nature um, because unless you know what you really are, you can't work out what a good version of you should look like. right? And that's important, isn't it? Because if you, if you don't know your, your essence, your nature, and you can't work out what a good version of you is, you can't work out what it is for you to flourish and be really happy. 
right? Like, what are you? So uh, now you say, well, Mark, thank you for that somewhat boring little introduction to the philosophy of being. What does that have to do with Good Friday? I don't know. It just seemed to me like a good idea at the time. No, here's what it has to do with Good Friday. Uh, on the cross, in the story of Easter, and in what we, as those who follow Jesus, believe to be a, an event that happened in space and time, we discover incredibly profound truths about the two most important beings in our lives, ourselves and about God. So let's think about what is the cross. I'll just put a little cross here to remind you we're talking about the cross of Jesus here. It's Good Friday, in case you forget. What does the cross teach about you? Okay, well, here's the first thing it teaches. It teaches two things. And I'm going to, depending on how much time we've got, I'm going to do a compare and contrast between what, what Scripture, what Good Friday teaches, and perhaps what our culture teaches. So here is, actually, and I should have moved the cross over here. Here is what uh, the cross teaches. And uh, we'll put here maybe another column, which is what our culture teaches, right? And, uh, and it teaches us two things. One, in this first box, the cross teaches us that you are metaphysically uh, marvelous. What does that mean? I hear you ask. Uh, that means you are glorious. Okay, what does that mean? So metaphysics is the study of your essence, of your nature, of who we are. And the cross says that, that, that you and I together are made in the image of God, and the essence of your nature is that you are unlike any other being in the world. You are not like animals. You are not like plants. You are not like rocks. You are not like water. You are not like air. You are a unique being at the nature of your essence. And the cross shows us this because it shows us that we are the kinds of beings for which our creator would die. We are of inestimable value. You are, the, you are the pinnacle of God's creation. You have extraordinary value and worth that is inherent in your very nature, and nothing can erase that value that you have. Okay? So nothing can erase that. Our actions, our religion... Our thoughts cannot erase this. See, Jesus died. God in Christ was dying even for the people who were killing him. Our actions don't determine our essence. Our essence is given to us and we are valuable. And there is nothing more significant that our culture needs to know right now than this message of ultimate value of every human being. Because what does our culture say about our essential nature? Really. Our culture says we are really just animals. Now, we're very clever animals. 
And we're very sophisticated and technologically advanced animals. But, but our culture says, by and large, we're really just very, very clever animals. Uh, and therefore, our lives, each individual life, doesn't really have any unique value. We have value pragmatically. If we can help others, we have value if we're smart. We have value if we exist outside the womb. We have value if we have all our marbles with us at the other end of life. And you can see, can't you, in our culture that we, and, and this is not just unique to our culture, this is true of every culture that is uninfluenced or untouched or unconvinced by the message of the cross, that we, we reduce each other and ourselves to the status of very smart animals. And very smart animals are disposable if they threaten us, if they're not part of our tribe, if they're inconvenient, and so on and so forth. Um, we are infinitely valuable. We're so valuable that the Creator God was willing to die even for those who killed Him. And now that's important. It's important for us to have an understanding of what do we do you know, does our value reside in what we do externally or in who we are? And that, that shapes our whole criminal justice system. That shapes everything. But deeply, personally, it shapes how you feel and think about yourself. Um, I'm not sure if any of you did this this morning, but uh, when you got out of the shower, if you had one, and I hope you did, when you stood in your bathroom and you looked at the mirror through the missed? Did you look at yourself and go, I am a metaphysically marvelous, glorious being. I am the pinnacle of creation and nothing about me, not what people think about me, not what my sagging, aging, decrepit, falling apart body might say to me. None of that is determined, changes the fact that this thing looking out of the mirror at me is a being that is so glorious that God himself was willing to die for me and that that glory inheres in my essence. Did you have that conversation with yourself this morning? Let me tell you, I reckon, have an, do an experiment. Uh, start off every morning looking at yourself naked in a mirror and and saying that about yourself. Let those words of value, infinite value and worth over you as, an, as the essence of you, let that actually shape how you feel and think and behave about you towards you. And then realize that that is also true of every single person you come across, online or in person. Everyone. Every person, that really annoying person who has political or religious or sexual views that are diametrically opposed to you and expresses them relentlessly in really annoying Facebook posts, but you can't quite bring yourself to block them or unfriend them, that person shares the same ultimate glory and value as you do. That person who hurt you so badly when you were growing up and who you cannot bring yourself to see past their hurt, that person has exactly the same value as the thief hanging next to Jesus on the cross or the Roman soldier sticking the spear in his side or nailing the 
nails in his hands and feet or the Jewish leaders conspiring to crucify, have him crucified, everyone you meet has that value. There's no such thing as an ordinary person. No one you meet is just a really clever, sophisticated animal. Okay, no matter what our culture says, very significant. Now, the other truth about you, though, is uh, that you are morally bankrupt. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, look, what do you do with this grand, extraordinary being that you are? Well, you become petty. You become selfish. You mistreat others. Listen, I... The, the, the best definition of human sin I've come across comes from an, uh, an atheist turned Anglican writing in the UK, Francis Bufford, and he says, sin is the ineluctable human tendency to F things up. Oh. But when you think about it, that's just so true. Like how many of you, a show of hands, if you think about your life now, is there any relationship that you are in where you haven't messed up at some point and in some way in that relationship? Anyone got a relationship where they've never messed up? You can uh, show the hand. Come on. Be brave. Own your inner goddess. No. Like, it's just so true, isn't it, that you give us enough time, we'll, we'll mess things up. And we do that... To those who are closest to us, we do that to those who are furthest away from us. And that's what the cross says, you see. The cross shines a spotlight on that and says, yes, we're so loved that, that Jesus was glad to die for us. We're so valuable. But we're actually so bankrupt. We're so messed up that he had to die. We need a savior. We need someone. We need a God who's going to actually in some way cover over our stuff-ups because we all mess up. We can't save ourselves. And that's very different to our culture. You see, what does our culture say? Our culture says, well, we're essentially good. And the worst thing you can say, and maybe even now you're feeling a little uncomfortable with what I've just said, but our culture says, no, we're basically all good people. We're, we are snowflakes. We are precious. We are wonderful. We're glorious. And, and the essence of our humanity is expressing our desires in this world. And if we all just do that, and we, we're all well-evolved and self-actualized, and we see the right therapists, and we, we get the right education, and we vote for the right political party, and we, we can just work it out, and we can, we can build utopia. That's what we really believe. Technology and politics and psychology will enable us to fully realize our essentially good, perfectible natures. No one's really bad except pedophiles. That's the one category. And, and those who disagree with you politically, but, but particularly pedophiles. They're really bad. The politics, eh, you know, the deplorables, the... Social justice warriors, who know you? But but you know what I mean. No one's real, and certainly you're not really bad, are you? 
the cross says these two truths are true of you and of me. I am incredibly, wonderfully, gloriously good, and I'm also morally bankrupt, and I desperately need a savior. And that's exactly the flip side of what our culture believes and what you may believe, that essentially we're just animals, but we're wonderful, glorious, and perfectible. Um, so what is it? that's what it says about us. What does the cross tell us about God? First thing it says about tells us about God is that God is incredibly just. Right? Uh, you see, the cross is the place where God's justice is uh, fully executed. God is not a God, according to the cross, who can just sweep evil under the carpet and go, ah, oh, you know, it's all right. I know you kill people. I know you're selfish. I know you're petty. I know you mess everything up. I know you trample on the, the things that I value the most, other people, but it's all right. It doesn't really matter that much. Um, God is just, and the other word the Bible might use and the cross might say is God is holy. So that's true. There is God who is, and, and this is a good thing. Like you and I know that, and actually everyone in our culture knows it even though we deny it. We want there to be a God. We want there somehow for the scales of justice to be balanced at the end of the day, don't we? I mean, if China is doing to the Uyghurs what it seems they are doing, don't you want Xi Jinping and the Communist Party leadership to be held account? And what chance is there, of, is there of that happening at a human level? Like zip. Who's going to invade and put in... Who's going to hold Xi Jinping and the Communist Party to account for what they're doing? Well, no one. I mean, maybe if China invades Taiwan and... The U.S. and all of the, you know, the rest of the world goes to war against China. Maybe there'll be some accountability. Chances are not. Chances are Xi Jinping will go to, he, he will grow old gracefully and he will die surrounded by his friends and family with the best medical treatment in peace. Now, if that's what's, and if, if what we're told is happening with the Uyghurs and the genocide and the awful evil there, that seems wrong, doesn't it? Just seems wrong, and so in our heart, and you know, and the cross says, the cross says to us that all evil has an expiry date. That it will be judged. There will be an accounting. That God's anger towards human evil is fierce, as it should be, as it says later in the Bible. Our God is a consuming fire. Evil will not go unpunished forever because what we see on the cross, in fact, is the full extent of God's anger poured out in judgment on this one man, Jesus. But what we also see there is this God is forgiving and loving. 
Because what we see on the cross is this justice that, that, you know, it's not just Xi Jinping and the Communist Party or any other dictator or totalitarian or fascist leader who's abused human rights on a grand scale. It's not just them who need justice and judgment. You know what? It's all of us because it's just a matter of degree. Like, we all mess things up. If I had the amount of power that Xi Jinping has, and, my little, and I was running a country of a billion people, I'm not sure I wouldn't do what he's doing. Can you be that sure you wouldn't? Mm, don't, don't overestimate your own. Like a, we all, it's just a matter of degree. We, we all participate. We all deserve justice. We all are under, under God's judgment. But what the cross says is there's this extraordinary thing that God, because he's forgiving and loving, is prepared to do this. He's prepared to say, hey, Mark, I won't hold your evil against you. Rather, I won't punish you for it. Rather, in, in an act that blows my mind, God says, I will punish, I will take the punishment that you deserve into my own being. I will, in, in my son Jesus, I will absorb the, the, the punishment that you deserve so that the scales of justice might be, um, might be weighed and found to be true. That that, that justice will be done at the center and the heart of the universe, but done in a way that doesn't eradicate and end any possibility of human flourishing. So God is both just and holy and forgiving and loving, and we see that nowhere more clearly than on the cross. Right? Now, of course, what does our culture generally say about God? And again, this is complex, but really simply, I'd suggest this, and maybe you think this. Most people who I talk to when they think about the atrocities and the evil in the world and the possibility of there being a God say that God is fundamentally unjust. He just allows evil to happen. And I don't, we don't get that. And then instead of God being forgiving and loving, you know what our culture would mostly say? Uh, the, the opposite of love is not hatred, but is kind of disinterest being uninvolved. So our culture would say God is uninvolved. He doesn't really care. And to the extent that he is involved, you, you can't trust him anyway because he's, you know, on the side of the patriarchal colonial oppressors. And so it's very different to what we see on the cross. And, and, and the message of the cross, the Bible acknowledges, is complete craziness, right? Like it doesn't it goes so against what we think to be true manifestly. But, but when we understand it in these terms, isn't this what we want? Don't we want a God who is simultaneously just and forgiving? Even if you aren't convinced that such a God exists, don't you wish in your heart of hearts that such a God did exist? <laughs> like, wouldn't you want there to be such a God? And, and don't you want this to be true about you? That you are, you are more than just an animal? And that you don't have to pretend to be anything but morally bankrupt because you know that as a metaphysically marvelous, morally bankrupt being, when you, the, when you come to the cross of Jesus, you find a God who, will, who is just and holy, but the punishment for your moral bankruptcy, he absorbs into himself because he's forgiving and loving 
And therefore, as a result, what happens is your glory will go on forever and ever. That's the message of the cross. And I hope there's something in that. I hope you take something away. I mean, I, I don't know where you are on your journey intellectually and spiritually and philosophically. But I don't think there's ever been a time in our culture, personally and globally, where we need this message of the cross more with all its profound personal and psychological and sociological implications. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to embrace the message of the cross, the truth of the cross, with all its paradoxes and complexity. And in a world that sees the cross as, as complete foolishness and stupidity, may we... May we uh, understand it and hold it and proclaim it and believe it and live it and as we do that show that this is in fact the path to full human flourishing to our life amen one last thing but wait there's more uh, if you want to explore this a little more we run a course here called alpha uh, it's uh, it's going to run for eight weeks plus a Saturday where you can ask all your questions. You can come and you can think and you can engage. Uh, there are, uh, on the screen at the back, there is adverts about it with a QR code that you can just scan and uh, take you to a registration form and details to find out more info. So that's starting on uh, Tuesday, the 27th of April. And Paul Perini, who is leading our service, Paul will be hosting that course. So you could also ask him for more info. Uh, so Alpha's coming up if you want to think a little more about some of these issues. All right. Thank you.